Welcome to The Current, a podcast produced by We Stand for Energy. We Stand for Energy is a community that supports a reliable, affordable, and sustainable energy future for everyone. It is a project of EEI, the National Trade Association representing U.S. investor-owned electric companies. My name is Brad Vietor, Vice President of External Affairs at EEI, and I'm your host. Today, I'm joined by EEI's General Counsel and Senior Vice President of Clean Energy, Emily Fisher. Emily, I guess I can now say, is a frequent guest on the podcast, with this being her second time joining us. Emily, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Great to be back. Thanks for the invite. All right, I'm going to get into it. So with a new administration and a new Congress, tell us about the electric industry's policy priorities. What are they and are they changing? So I think I'm going to, and we pretty well, Brad, I'm just going to take issue with the premise of your question and say that our policy priorities haven't changed, but our opportunities to make progress on those policy priorities probably have. And let, let me give you an example. Right around Inauguration Day and the signing of that first tranche of executive orders that happened on Inauguration Day, we issued a statement announcing our support for a return to Paris but also for some regulatory actions that had been included in those executive orders, including a look at standards for methane emissions from natural gas infrastructure. And I did an interview last week with a reporter who was like, how did you get to this changed position? And I said, oh no, you're not understanding what happened here. This isn't a changed position. This is a position that we've had. And that is, we think natural gas is part of a clean energy future and that we're going to need it to help us integrate more clean energy, including more renewables, so that we can make progress on big reductions goals. And we know that in order to keep using gas, we need gas to do its part in terms of keeping itself as clean as it can be. There really wasn't a super big purpose in screaming about this last year. But now that we have a new administration, it's not that our policy priorities are different, but our policy opportunities are different. So now we have an opportunity to work with regulators and our gas suppliers to get that supply of gas as clean as possible. The investor-owned electric companies in the United States, we're really moving forward on building more clean energy and integrating it into the energy grid and decarbonizing our electric system. We've been doing that pretty aggressively for the last five to six years. Some of the policy opportunities we have right now really are around building transmission infrastructure faster because everyone pretty much agrees that needs to happen more quickly and at a scale that's, in some instances, some people are saying even two and three times what we've already done on transmission. To deploy more renewables and other clean energy technologies to protect our existing nuclear fleet. So we have a lot of opportunities that just maybe weren't available because the prior administration, that wasn't their focus. But with folks who are interested in how fast can we go, I think there's some real opportunities for us to see how fast we can go. So I'm going to dig in on that a little bit. With the last Democratic administration, President Biden was Vice President Biden. A lot of the climate focus was on two big climate rules or rules out of the EPA that a lot about the mercury and air toxic standards rule, which really moved a bunch of coal plants offline. And then the clean power plan, which was reworked as the ACE rule and the Trump administration and has a more questionable impact on the system as a whole. Do you see this administration digging in to big rules like that at the EPA? Or do you think the approach is going to be different than the last time? Joe Biden was hanging out at the White House. I think a lot of people probably have the sense that they're going to swing for the fences on the regulatory side. 
I think a lot of what they've been signaling since day one is that they're going to take a very concerted whole of government approach to addressing climate change, but they're going to use lots of different levers to try and get at the problem. So they're going to look at clean technology development. They're going to look at worker relocation programs. They're going to look at what they can do at the Department of Interior and at the Department of Energy and EPA. What I see coming I think is a series of smaller actions that when you put them all together has really big impact. But attacking the problem of climate change and reducing emissions and rebuilding our economy, they're going to attack it from a bunch of different perspectives. Some listeners might think it's strange, but I hear about the opportunities in this administration and I'm not super scared about them. I've told it to a few friends is that if the question's clean energy, the answer is yes. It's just a matter of how are we going to figure it out and ensure that we can do it affordably. So with all that kind of being said, what are the challenges? What are you worried about as it relates to clean energy over the next, say, four years of the Biden administration or maybe eight years of the Biden administration? I think it's great that everyone is coalescing right around this moment of time. Everyone's talking about transmission and let's figure out how to get rid of the roadblocks. But I don't see a lot of conversations about exactly how to do that. And there are a lot of complications when it comes to siting and building transmission. You have state and local issues. And then you have divided roles between DOE and FERC and the state commissions that regulate our members at an economic level, mostly on the distribution side. And there's not a lot of agreement between those people how to solve this problem. So I think that one's a a, a sticky wicket for sure. I also think some of our big challenges are how we help communities transition. The president has been big on providing support for environmental justice communities, but also providing support for communities that used to really rely on fossil investments for their livelihoods, for their tax budgets, for a lot of things. And I think that if we're not thoughtful about how we make this transition, not only could we leave people behind, but the people who are being left behind might be really vocal about maybe we should slow down. I actually think trade is going to be an interesting issue. We really rely on imports for a lot of clean energy technologies, including portions of storage. Wind turbines actually aren't really made in the United States. If we're really trying to make this a whole of government, whole of economy approach, we actually have to think about domestic manufacturing and how we're going to approach being able to scale technologies while we're developing in domestic economy and domestic manufacturing. That being said, time horizons are really a thing here. We only have four years, theoretically, for this administration, and I think that's the right way to look at this, that this is a four-year period and certain policies could be put in place that will help us accelerate the clean energy transition in this time frame. How do we prioritize them? How do we get them over the finish line? How do we make them legally durable? That's a whole lot to do in a relatively short period of time. And I think one of the lessons, as I was talking about the clean power plan being litigated for a really long time, that doesn't provide us the kind of certainty we need to make these really huge investments. And so I am a little bit nervous that we're trying to do everything at once and we don't really have the luxury of sitting down and trying to prioritize things and figure out what would make sense to go first. Like, And so I'm, I'm a little bit worried that we're just going to throw everything at the wall and we're all just going to be running around all the time and not being as strategic as we might need to be. You spend a ton of your time reading executive orders because this administration is very good at getting them out. What are the actions that have already been taken right now that are illustrative of this tailwind and opportunity? Two things I thought was really exciting out of that executive order. One was you know, a statement that they'd really love to double offshore wind in the next, I think they said 10 years. That's really ambitious. They didn't tell us how they're going to help us do that. 
but we have a lot of member companies who are investing pretty significantly in offshore wind and offshore wind does seem like it has a lot of opportunity to address the magnitude of the reductions that are needed. But the other exciting thing was really the electrification of the federal fleet. I mentioned before that there are real opportunities for the electric sector to help make progress on carbon reductions from the transportation sector. Fleet electrification is huge and committing the federal government to moving toward electric vehicles, I think would be great for domestic car manufacturers because there's also a real push to buy American in that context, but also really great for us to work with a lot of our customers, which include the federal government, is how to make charging really work for companies and then for customers. Fascinating to hear the overall policy priorities with the new administration from the industry's point of view. But now I'd like to pivot to Sarah Venuto, Vice President of Public Policy at Duke Energy, who will give us a bit more of a narrow focus on the clean energy priorities of a specific company. So Sarah, can you talk a little about Duke's clean energy vision, what that looks like and how you got there? Absolutely. And it's been an evolution and an exciting one. This company owns and operates 49 gigawatts of regulated generation, and that includes 11,000 megawatts of nuclear in North and South Carolina. I would also note that our commercial renewables business is growing. We have about four gigawatts of solar and wind, and that's a really exciting part of what we're doing. As of 2019, we had reduced our carbon emissions 39% below 2005 levels. When you think about that, it's very clearly tied to the evolution of our carbon goals. But even more so, I would note that our current five-year plan for capital investment is actually at about $58 billion. Beyond that, we could be in the range of up to $75 billion for our subsequent five-year plan. Our goals evolved. Duke's first goal was announced in 2010. And that was, I believe it was 17% reduction below 2005 levels by 2030. In 2019, we announced our new net zero goal and a midterm goal of 50% reduction below 2005 levels by 2030. Those goals are continuing to evolve. We continue to sort of pressure test ourselves, but these goals are built on the environmental commitments and progress that Duke has made for some time. So when we think about our clean energy vision and all of those factoids I just threw out there for you, it's really about continuing to progress towards these targets by deploying clean energy and grid investments and going through that transformation. And that also will require coal retirements. In 2018, we announced our first and released our first climate report. But then in 2020, we released a second. And this one was interesting because it was the first since our net zero goal was announced. And it included a scenario analysis that really mapped out a pathway to net zero. In September of 2020, Duke Energy made its first filing in the Carolinas since our net zero goal was announced. That included onshore and offshore wind for the first time ever. In Florida, we've invested $1 billion to bring 700 megawatts of solar online by the end of 2022. And then we recently filed a shared solar program for another 750 megawatts by the end of 2024. I think of Indiana It is a coal-heavy state, as we know. So we're looking to accelerate the closure of coal plants. We've retired 1,100 megawatts since 2010. So when we think about our clean energy vision and our business strategy, they're one and the same. Our climate strategy is our business strategy. You talked a lot about renewable investment, which is big, but you also talked about grid investment. 
Usually mm-hmm. when people are talking about how they're going to reduce carbon, they're just focusing on the renewable piece. Can you tell me a little bit more about your thinking and some of the things that you're doing on the grid investment side? We, in our capital planning, have included about $7 billion for transmission investments in the next five years. And the goal there is to enable renewables, as you mentioned, but it's also for the addition of energy storage. It's about maintaining grid stability, and it's also about enabling coal retirements. And that means that, and I don't want to focus on just the Carolinas, but it does mean that we're looking at about $4 billion from 2020 to 2035 in in transmission investments. And of naturally, Florida and the Midwest, we're going to see significant investment there too. On the distribution side of the equation, because our clean energy vision goes beyond generation, right? It goes into EVs, it goes into broadband deployment and innovative rate designs. We're going to be investing about 17 billion in the next five years. So you're really, your goal there is improve resiliency, enable EV charging and home battery systems, support customer programs that are innovative in rate designs. So yeah, it's a very good point that the the investments in the grid have to come along with the investments in the generation. I would also note that I think that there are a lot of very interesting policy conversations happening at all levels of government. And as we talk about solar and wind and storage, the benefits of nuclear, the ongoing use of natural gas, we also have to remember that there is going to need to be additional infrastructure cited to deliver. It seems like your company was making a bunch of business decisions about clean energy, and we're in this sort of world where policy's changing and policymakers at least are changing and, and the direction of the country is changing. How is Duke Energy factoring that in? How are you thinking about the opportunities of this administration and maybe some of the challenges that you'll face as it relates to your clean energy vision? It's a great question. And it's an important one because Duke has progressed its climate goals and its capital planning through several political environments. And because our first goal went into effect in, in 2010, that's when it was announced. When we think about capital planning and the way that a utility stands up these projects, whether it's um, a solar installation, it's a a small modular reactor demonstration project, whatever the case may be, these require long planning horizons and a lot of capital investments. So the way that we view policy is that we are trying to build Duke's policies for decades, not presidential terms or congressional sessions. So with respect to the new political environment and a federal agenda, I do think that there is some meaningful alignment between President Biden's goals and where Duke Energy is headed. We absolutely look forward to engaging with this administration to seek to implement some of those goals and work. But I also would note that I think when we advance public policies, we are aligned with some very key principles. We want to meaningfully address climate change and reduce emissions, but we also want to serve our customers in a reliable and affordable way. And I think those are shared goals. What happened at the end of the year with respect to energy, we were very excited to see that energy bill cross the finish line. And I would loop back actually to the importance of technological development, advancing clean energy into commercialization so that utilities can adopt and deploy it and do so really quickly. We look at the years 2030 to 2035 as critical for deploying those technologies. We see a clear line of sight 
to hit our 50% goal by 2030. So when we look at that energy bill, we see a really strong step forward on advancing things like carbon capture, advanced nuclear energy storage, novel uses for hydrogen. The other question that we get a lot is obviously around carbon legislation. When we look at carbon policy at the federal level in particular, we view it through a few lenses. Is it cost-effective? Is it environmentally sound? Is it market-based and equitable? Does it promote that technology development? And does it make provisions to efficiently address emissions across all sectors of the economy? Duke is really pursuing the net zero goals regardless of the political environment. Because, as you know, our net zero goal was announced during the Trump administration. In the meantime, in the event that a carbon policy conversation isn't a politically viable one, we do see there there are, I don't want to call them smaller incremental, but they might be viewed by some that way, policies that are accelerants, really. So when we think about President Biden's call for an infrastructure stimulus package, We'd seek out those policies that can help accelerate our clean energy transformation. For example, improving permitting for clean energy infrastructure, additional funding and support for R&D, and I would also say growing opportunities for participation in the electrification of the transportation sector are going to be very important. So while no single one of these is certainly a silver bullet, they can help enable clean energy investment, and they have this amazing co-benefit of emissions reductions. Thank you, Sarah. I appreciate you digging in with us a bit and telling us uh, more about Duke's clean energy vision. Absolutely. Happy to. We hope you found this to be an informative 15 minutes, and we look forward to bringing you additional expert insights on energy policy. To learn more about EEI and the electric power industry, visit www.eei.org. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts by searching for The Current and We Stand for Energy.